before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about a limited opportunity. The doors are open to our online community. Where we're helping clinicians get confidence and success when dealing with the complexity of pain we see in practice. We have Brownie Thompson, Mike Stewart, and myself helping clinicians get the training they need to get comfortable managing pain well. You get live events, workshops, peer support, and direct feedback on your practice and your unique struggles. You can visit the community on your computer or on the go on your smartphone. The doors are closing on May 8th, so make sure you check out modernpainpro.com for all the details and to start transforming your practice today. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? It is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain Care, where we make you the complete clinician. Coming at you for another Clinical Pearl podcast on the Modern Pain Podcast this week. We're going to be speaking about lateral shifts. So, Jared and I were talking about this just before we got on the podcast, and some people, you know, dis- discuss whether these exist or not. If you've practiced in clinic, you've probably seen some crooked people walk, acutely crooked people walk in the clinic. And we're going to talk about how we can best help those folks and how we can approach shift correction and those type of things. But before we do, let's see how Jared's doing today. How are you doing, Jared? Man, I'm doing good. I'm, uh, you know, my mind is in teaching mode right now because I've, uh, I've been in, in class all week this week, uh, you know, with the DPT students. You know, all of the lecture has gone online and all of the labs have been condensed down to like full eight hour days of lab. So I've been taking uh, PTO vacation time from my main job career and spending it in uh, the classroom with the students. So if any of you guys are listening, recognize how much I love you. I'm using my I'm using my vacation time to hang out with you guys in in class. Uh, And it's just it's always fun because you get questions that you don't always get from practicing clinicians because they're th- th- their minds are still really agile you know the, the, these students and they're they're not locked into a certain like school of thought just yet so you get some really good questions so i, I always enjoy it yeah yeah eight hours a lab that's impressive man i know when we do like three hour labs uh at uh, midwestern where i uh, teach um it's it's a long haul so i can imagine eight hours i'm sure you guys sprinkle in some breaks and let some brain decompressions going psych you know the psychometric skills and I can only be only or kinesthetic skills I should say can only be learned so quickly but you know it's what we had to do these days we had to do a lot of pivoting in our program as well with the pandemic and such so yeah it's it's been an interesting way that our curriculums have been delivered but it sounds like you guys over there are doing a great job adapting to, to some of the circumstances. But anyway, Jared, the, the lateral shift, um, one of those things, and, and just full disclosure, I've, I, and most people who've listened enough have known that I've gone through the McKenzie certification in the past. I'm no longer credentialed. I have not kept up my credential and don't feel the need to um, still talk to some smart people who use it and still learn about it and see how other people apply. But, you know, I'm not a fan of the, you must pay to continue to wear the 
magical letters <laughs> after your name. So uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not currently credentialed, but have found that to be a very helpful part of my practice. So shift correction in your mind, Jared, what's been your experience kind of with with maybe how you were taught it and what uh, your kind of understanding of it, you know, or what you see in the clinic, I should say, because that's obviously where we're trying to help most folks. But what, what's been your experience? Yeah. So, um, you know, as we talked about before we came on air, uh, interestingly enough, I've had some people really cha- challenge me and say, oh, no, I don't I don't I don't think a lateral shift even exists. I've never seen one, blah, 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 blah. And when those people, it's interesting. You can go you can go a while without seeing this because those people happen to work in like sports related clinics that are attached to like sports orthopedic surgeons. And all they see is people with like knee surgery, shoulder surgery, ankle surgery, hip surgery all day long. They don't they, they have like two percent people with spinal conditions on on their schedule. But if you're out here working in the general population, uh, you know, low back pain is the primary musculoskeletal complaint. And if you do it for long enough, you are going to see somebody with a lateral shift. So uh, it absolutely does exist. I've seen a lot of them. Um, And, you know, my, my thought process on them has really evolved over time. Uh, as I was taught in school, you know, right when I came out, uh, I was really trying to aggressively correct this acute lateral shift. And, you know, there, I, I want to get into, you know, and I want to hear your perspective on what you think is going on with this lateral shift, whether it is uh, pathological or whether it's adaptive, uh, whether it's a good thing early on or a bad thing early on, whether it will resolve itself on its own as pain starts to resolve or whether it's something that needs to be corrected itself, even as pain gets better. Um, But, you know, early on, in my mind, it was something that had to be corrected immediately. Somebody walked in, they they had, you know, shoulders way offset to the hip. They've got a little acute scoliosis going on in the lumbar spine uh, or, you know, thoracolumbar spine, maybe. And you see like this C curve or S curve or whatever you want to call it. Things just don't look right. <laughs> and these people are, tend to be in a tremendous amount of pain. So I would, I would ram the shoulder pad into their ribs and reach through and grab their hips and just, just ream on them until I thought I was getting them straight to the point of, I remember one guy, his knees buckled on me and I had to like physically hold him up. And this is, this is Jared three, three months, six months out of school, just thinking that I'm, you know, healing everybody, fixing everybody. And it's okay if you're in unbearable pain, this is the technique that we have to do because it was in my musculoskeletal two class and that's how they taught us to do it. So that's kind of where I started. So I want to pass the mic over to you and kind of add some perspective to that. Yeah, no, it's a topic near and dear to my heart because I've been a multiple experiencer of a acute lateral shift uh, with, uh, you know, some of the discogenic stuff. And I, I think the thought behind it is it's likely a discogenic thing. Again, can we perfectly say 100% timed it is? No, but I mean, it sure behaves like it as far as especially mine, a company with very clear, you know, discogenic signs. And I have S1 radiculopathy and all the stuff that... Um, you know, can often go along with that. But, you know, if you just kind of qualify those things, it's kind of because there's people that are crooked, scoliotic, you know, that have been that way their whole lives. And that's just, again, these are usually things that are new that came along with the onset of symptoms. They'll be called the sciatic scoliosis or, or kind of adaptive scoliosis. But, um, 
and you know and correcting that is often going to impact the symptoms and this is where you're looking to, to see if symptoms are you know peripheralizing down the leg or centralizing the back um, and then oftentimes if it's a hard shift patients can't correct or maintain it on their own so that that was the initial thought too with me is like let's get it let's arm around hip shoulder blade in the rib cage let's pull and start correcting that thing you know manually and having had one again very acutely and with some pretty severe sciatica um man it, it just wasn't happening for me i had that kind of knee buckling like who you know pain type response too and i've had some pretty brilliant therapists try to correct it early on and it, it's kind of changed my thought process too and we'll link lewis gifford's uh criticism of uh, some of the mdt thought processes around shift correction because his thoughts as you'd mentioned is this an adaptive thing or is this something that needs to be gone after and corrected and i you know corrected in quotes of course um I think my thoughts are it's probably early on a very adaptive thing. If you got this acute discogenic, you know, and the thought could be an extrusion herniation, who knows, but it could also be something else just really freaking sensitive on that side of the spine. We'll say they're just trying to unload one side of the spine. That's probably more where I, my thought process goes because, you know, then eventually they got to reload that side of the spine and you're going to use it through side glides or other ways of doing it. But yeah, so I don't tend to go after weight bearing shift correction early on, especially with those severely irritable folks who are just crippled and in a severe amount of pain. I think you can, if somebody's shifted away, you know, a right shift, so the shoulders are shifted off to the right and the symptoms are raging down the left leg. And this was like the thing that would keep my symptoms down and i often find this helpful clinically is then lay them on the painful side so they almost kind of shift correct in a non-weight bearing cell away and then they can kind of do some self rotations where you'll if and then if we start thinking of spinal mechanics i know we're talking spinal mechanics today in the podcast look out where we have just hit the dark side no of course that's it actually matters in some case but uh, so yeah we're laying on the left side then you have them right rotate which will accompany with a often a left side bend, which again, just starts loading that side of the spine where the sensitivity is. And then you see if you can progress that, you know, it's kind of similar to the flexion rotation you know, mobilization that the McKenzie folks teach where the knees come up, it's almost like a knee to the chest and you drop it off the side where the, you know, legs are supported on the clinician's hip as they drop their legs off towards the uh, edge of the table, towards the side of symptoms. Um, and then you see, again, it's just test retest. You have to have understanding of their symptoms. You have to have understanding of where things are at, kind of located in their leg of what variable symptoms are there and where are they at and see if you can start making change in those variable symptoms and tracking centralization and peripheralization, but also talking to people about, you know, this, this is pretty freaking painful, but oftentimes if you like, for me, that was like, Oh my God, it's the first time. Like I was able to kind of like quiet down a raging leg situation. So, I mean, oftentimes people are like, yeah, that feels really good. I'm um, not always, but again, you're, you're, you're able to nudge. I think one of the things with, with McKenzie stuff that I do think has been helpful for me is being willing to play with pain responses a little bit. We do it with manual therapy a little bit too, but with active movement and having people test loading into sensitive tissues and seeing maybe it is a because there, I do think there is a time where adaptive becomes maladaptive. And I, when is that magical time period? I don't know. I mean, we can think of tissue healing times and, and different things like that as far as, Hey, this is like six, eight weeks out. We should be getting back to where we're, you know, starting to reload that side versus like, Hey, this is two days old and angry and, and super sensitive. What's, what's, what's been what you've seen clinically, Jared, like, you know, I know you, we've kind of talked about this before the, we got on today, but um, you know, those folks that are just angry and early and you know, the knee bucklers, what, what's been your thoughts on kind of adaptive versus let's leave it alone and just find some ways to manage pain as they're kind of navigating it. 
I mean, you know, like I mentioned early on, I was I was very much like it doesn't matter if this happened yesterday or, you know, six weeks ago, we're fixing that thing. You're crooked. You got to fix it. Right. Um, But as I've as I've kind of gone through my career, I'm much more in line, I think, with the thoughts of Gifford here. I, I, I truly think that in the vast majority of cases, you know, especially if it's if it's probably less than, you know, a couple of months old, you know, um this is probably adaptive and I kind of liken it to like a limp, right? If you sprain your ankle significantly, it's probably not the best to just immediately just force yourself to go take off running on it. Right. You probably need to quiet it down for just a little bit and, you know, deload it just a little bit, maybe not complete deload, but you deload a little bit and you allow them to limp. And that's just not a human thing. If you look into all of the rest of the animals on the planet, you know, if a dog hurts his foot, he limps. You know, if a cat hurts their their hip or whatever, I don't even know if cats can get hurt, man. Those things those things are crazy. Ninja. Always 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 landing on their feet. Um <clears throat> You know, they, they limp. So to me, that tells me from an evolutionary perspective, there are some compensatory strategies that are probably heavily adaptive that we shouldn't screw with too much. Um, and, and I liken it to, you know, like the inflammatory process, thought process that's coming along that we shouldn't squ- try to squash out the inflammatory process. It's actually a good thing. We need some swelling. We need some stuff going on there. So I've changed my thought process completely on that. Um, but I think that the communication is huge here because people look in the mirror without their shirt and they're like, Oh my God, like what's going on here? My spine is out of place. This is not good. And then you, you pair that with some of the narratives of, you know, spinal malalignment and spinal instability and all that sort of stuff that permeate our society. And you have to really uh, explore what those people think is going on. And that's what I like to tell people. I'm like, Hey, you've got a limp in your low back right now, right? Like you, your, your body is finding an area that feels a little bit better that offloads that thing that is irritated right now to let it start healing. And just like a sprained ankle after it heals a little bit, we want to gradually start reloading this and it's going to be a little sensitive at first. And that's okay. Just like your ankle would be a little bit sensitive after you start exercising it when you've sprained it and deloaded it. Uh, so I don't go directly after that lateral shift at all. Like if somebody comes in with at first, if somebody comes in with that presentation, I might try a gentle shift and see how they respond to it, a gentle shift correction. But I, I would more go with positioning, like you mentioned, to see if we can find any position of comfort, right? Whatever makes their symptoms better is probably going to help that adaptive response calm down a little bit. And I would say, Probably 90% now of the lateral shifts that I see, I don't necessarily have to go after a direct correction or anything like that at all. You help them manage their symptoms. And over the course of a few weeks, it just naturally corrects itself. It starts to re- it starts to resolve because they are having less pain. If they had a discogenic pathology that has started to heal up, that initial inflammatory process is going down. So it starts to correct itself. And then that's when you just start going into those, those side glides or you start going into those side bends or you can push more into extension or you might have somebody lie prone and help them get back into a, you know, a quote unquote normal alignment or less of a shift while they're lying prone and then ease into prone on elbows just to see what they feel like. Um, so I would say 
I agree pretty much exactly with what you're saying and a lot of what Gifford was saying as well in, in, in his perspective that it's adaptive. But I have seen a couple of people that have had, you know, a, a lateral shift going on for what looked like well over a year. They come in, they're like, I'm still having these neural symptoms. I have this back pain. I've seen all sorts of people and you take a look at their back and it goes up and then it has like a nice little deviation and their shoulders are offset. And you're like, well, crap. Like you've had this pain for a year and you still have this lateral shift. And that's somebody that has never been re-exposed to normalizing that. So their body has, you know, their adaptive response maybe has become maladaptive and they've developed all sorts of, you know, neuroplastic changes that are highly sensitive that don't want to go back into whatever their normal posture is. And that's somebody that I go more directly after it with. And I don't know if you've seen some of those, those long-term lateral shift people. Yeah, regularly. And it's interesting. You'll, you'll see some of those folks that have developed, you know, kind of lower extremity based sensitivity and mm-hmm. oftentimes neurodynamically related neuro, you know, sensitivity. I've had somebody with like posterior knee pain that, you know, they've also, it was a year after they had the sciatic thing where now they just have posterior knee pain. And it, and there's a lot of like extremity load issues when you, when the person's shifting their body weight over away from one side of the spine, obviously that's extremity on that side is probably not going to get as much load as well. So you'll see some, oftentimes those things can result in like chronic extremity sensitivity. Again, often neurodynamics can be playing a role in that. Yeah. I think, you know, I tend to definitely want to expose those folks back into loading that side. And we, we have uh, one of our, uh, you know, clinicians in our coaching program that's going through that right now with a client who's, um, it's been a while not doing it, you know, direct shift correction, you know, not going very well. It's been long and chronic, but I also think there's probably some cognitive, some fear, you know, some, you know, when you've experienced a shift correction and it hasn't gone well, it's probably a little bit of a, of a fearful thing to try to get back into, but you gradually exposing folks back to that and also creating clinical situations where, you know, maybe they do some farmer's carriers on one side and then they're starting to load that one side or they're, you're putting them in situations where they're truly loading that side, but they're not consciously, you know, it's not front and center in their brain, like, oh my God, I'm putting load through that left side of my spine. You're, you're kind of sneaking in the back door with some ways for them to load it and, and testing. Cause if it is a lot of a top down type, you know, catastrophizing, fearful thing, which again, I've been there, done that with loading my left leg after some wickets, uh, you know, radiculopathy and type stuff that, you know, having some ways where you can take the central nervous systems kind of, you know, amplifier all a little bit. And it, and you can test that theory. If it is a lot of that, then you'd expect, Hey, if I kind of trick the nervous system, I guess, or then you should see a different presentation. Like, yeah, when they're not really aware that they're loading that side and you put them in situations where, yeah, they are loading that side and it's different. Then again, you think, okay, I need to really focus on the top down stuff, educate, reassure all that stuff. So, you know, that they're, they're, you know, navigating into this successfully. Cause a lot of times that can be a huge cognitive barrier with patients who've had negative experiences, you know, trying to put load back on a side, especially, but yeah, if that's something uh, you, any of you guys are struggling with in clinical practice, and it's, it's one of the things that we see commonly, you know, shift corrections and a lot of things we've talked about the last few weeks with neurodynamics. Um, and you'd like some help in your practice, definitely don't hesitate to reach out to Jared and I, we've had uh, started our complete clinician supercharge program where we're coaching clinicians. We have about eight clinicians in it. we're keeping it pretty small and, and uh, you know, not a big group because we want to keep, 
keep uh, one-on-one coaching and, and doing things. But this is where we think, you know, co- clinical education, continuing education needs to go. We're, we're kind of tired of the weekend course where you kind of get two to even the online course is great. You might get some online meetings here and there, but you don't really get that person who's in your practice working with you on the problems you have and uh, some of the shift correction and neurodynamics and all the things you see in clinic. Um, you can only learn so much by reading an article and seeing somebody else do it on a YouTube video. You kind of got to get some instruction with you and your practice. So if that's something interesting of you, don't hesitate to reach out to Jared and I via social media or email, or you, you know where to find us. If you if you're following this podcast, we'll also have some links in the podcast notes. If you want to reach out to us, we're more than happy to have some discussions if you're interested in some coaching in your practice. But with that said, Jared, any other things that you think we should be chatting about with shift correction before we wrap up today? Man, uh, you know, I, I, this 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 topic can get a little bit hairy, so I don't I don't know if we uh, I don't know if we need to take it too much deeper without um, actually having a you know a patient that we could walk through some of this stuff with and actually demonstrate exposure and yeah. you know that that process with. So I, I think we're good. Maybe if you guys have some questions, that would be great if you shot some questions over towards us, and Mark and I can circle back around on a future episode and directly address those. Yeah, if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're watching this on uh, Facebook or any of our channels uh, via the, the web, definitely uh, drop some comments. We're happy. We usually are keeping an eye on those, and we will definitely comment back to you to uh, give you some thoughts on uh, any questions you may have. But with that said, we're going to wrap up this episode and hope you guys enjoyed it, uh, and we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Cardula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Pain Podcast.